I really love programming. If I had to give one up, I'd give up books and keep the programming. But they're similar in certain ways that you think about a problem, you break it down into smaller components until you get to components that you know how to do. And you put those together in a logical order. It's somewhere between programming and teaching. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of the ways in which a good teacher teaches carry over into writing good, at least intro books. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for tuning in. You're listening to Dedicated On Air, where we bring together data experts to share their journey and impart their knowledge. This is Kate Strashny, the founder of Dedicated and the host of Dedicated On Air. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Dedicated Show. Today, we have a special guest with us named Jesse Liberty, and he's the author of a brand new book called Git for Programmers. He's also authored several, several other books, but I'm really excited to talk to him today about Git and version control and how programmers use Git in general. So as you're joining the session, a couple of things. Let us know where you're tuning in from. It's always interesting to see where our diverse audience is joining us from. I'm going to go ahead and bring Jesse up on our virtual stage here. Hello, Jesse. Welcome to the show. Thank you. That's all I have for now. (laughs) That may be all I have for the whole show. No, 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 no. You have a lot to say. I think we'll start with your shirt. Let's talk about your shirt. It says stay at home, wear a mask. Stay at home, wear a mask. So this, I think, should tell people how much you enjoy programming if you were wearing a shirt like this. Um, Yes. But when we started just talking, I guess, last week, you mentioned you didn't always enjoy programming. So I think it would be really helpful for you to provide an introduction Who's Jesse Liberty? And also tell us when you your love for programming actually started. Okay. Uh, I started programming in high school. And that was back in the Fortran days with punch cards or punch tape and hated it. So I tried it again in college and we were still on minis and hated it. And so I went to social work school. And then in my first year of social work school, we got an MPM machine. And that's where I first liked it because I had complete control of the machine. MPM was later replaced by, was a variant on CPM, but for multi-use. And it was great because if I typed in a line and somebody else typed in a line and then I hit enter, he had to wait. (laughs) It was really bad. So then came DOS and then came Windows. And at some point I wanted to be a, a professional programmer. So I went to a friend who was a professional programmer and I said, I want to learn C And he said, great, go learn assembly first, which was good advice, actually. So I spent a couple of months learning assembly and then I learned C. And the trick with C is pointers. But if you've learned assembly, then pointers are easy. So worked in C for a while. C++ came along, which was sort of a Trojan horse to take C programmers into object-oriented programming, which Mm -hmm. worked quite well. And uh, in 2000, I got the early bits for C Sharp. And I said, I'm not going back and you can't make me. So I've been programming C Sharp for about 20 years and programming the web for most of that. But the last few years I've been programming using Xamarin, which is a cross-platform mobile framework. So you, you pretty much use them all at this point. huh? <laughs> That's Well, all within the .NET world. There's mm-hmm. a whole other world I haven't touched. Yes. And other than that, I live in uh, Massachusetts with my wife and two kids. Well, that's not true. I used to live with my wife and two kids, but the kids have grown. 
So now they're in New York, one in Flatbush and one on Long Island. Oh, and cool. The one in Flatbush in is, oh, yeah. The one in Flatbush is uh, in social work school, mm-hmm. and the one in Long Island is training service dogs. Oh, wow. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, I just got out of New York, and I'm in my new headquarters here in New Jersey, which I absolutely love. We've got several folks joining us here. Kimberly saying, good morning. We've got Srikanth from India. Brian is really looking forward to our session. We have a lot of hashtag liberties coming in. Susan Walsh, classification gurus, joined us. Just going to say good morning here to Charles from Santa Barbara. Let me see. Louis, he's the Brit living in New Hampshire, currently moving to Atlanta and at the month. Awesome. Thank you guys all for joining us and Lastly, Scott saying, you know, come and get it. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mr. Liberty, let's get into it. Let's start with yes. what the git is git, you know, <laughs> what is git? Why do we need it? When I started programming, if I was about to do something that was dangerous, I would make a complete backup of my directory yeah. and then I'd go do a little work and then I make another complete backup and it was slow and it was time consuming and it wasn't even all that safe. So source control came along and source control said, we're going to do all that work for you. You check things into your repository. Repository is just a place that keeps your code and we'll keep it for you and we'll keep doing that as often as you want. Git came along after source control already existed. It was invented by the man who invented Linux initially for his private use and then for the Linux community, now for the wider community. And Mm -hmm. Git is like any other source control, except that it's totally different. And the way that it's different is that there's no central repository necessarily. It's distributed. And most important, it's wicked fast. So you can check things in very quickly, which means you'll do it more often. And there's some specific terminology for doing that. Git has its own terminology and it has a reputation for being difficult to learn. Mm. But I have a theory about that, which is that most of the books and most of the learning on Git go into how Git works, Mm -hmm. the internals. And in my book, I chose not to do that at all, just to talk about how you use it and when you use these different things. And I think, I hope that makes it more accessible. And the final point I'll make on this is that the forward is by John Galloway, who's at Microsoft and an old, old buddy. And he writes in there, and I think accurately, that many people know how to use Git. But what they know is how to get things in and get things out and modify things and maybe merge things. But after that, that's it. And there are other parts to get that can be extremely helpful, especially if you get into trouble with it. Mm-hmm. So we have a whole chapter on how to get out of trouble. And we also have some chapters on more advanced techniques that can give you a better history that you can look at and that can Uh, help you find where a bug in your code was introduced. There's a number of advanced topics that many Git developers don't already know about. But boy, I do ramble on. The book starts with what is version control? What is Git? We do it quickly, but we don't assume that you already know that. And the examples are done in incredibly simple C-sharp. So even Mm -hmm. if you don't know C-sharp, it's not a problem because they're dead simple. Yeah, you know, I really liked what you said about not including kind of how Git works because it makes me think of the simple things that we use, like a microwave, for example. You don't get a manual that tells you exactly how the microwave was built or how it works or 
you just get a simple, okay, put food in, close door, press buttons when it's done, open door and on your way. And I think books like that or manuals like that are a lot more useful. They're practical. You can apply them right away versus getting into the how it works part, which I guess to some, it might be really important, but I think for the vast majority of people using it, you probably don't need to know exactly how everything works, right? Right. Well, there are some places in other software where you do need to know how it works because if you get into trouble, you need to know how to get out of trouble. Right. I pretty strongly believe with Get, you can get yourself out of any situation without knowing about the trees and the blobs and the inside working pieces. Similarly with C-sharp, there's a lot to learn, but you don't need to really learn how to write a compiler to use C-sharp. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's let's talk briefly about your book. Now, there are books out there on Git. So I wanted to ask, why do we need another one? And how is your book different? I mean, I guess you already you spoke about the fact that you're not going to get into the technical side of how it actually works. But what else would make this book stand out from the other Git books? Well, if you look at it, it's pretty small. Yeah, um, it is and, actually. And uh, yes, I often have to say we don't sell books by the pound. Um, <laughs> I, I actually set out to make it smaller. I hate having to read through a tome in order to learn something that's not all that difficult and complicated. Yeah. So I left out a fair amount of the history of Linux and of Git. And I left out, as we said, a lot of the internals mm-hmm. and, and went to the core that most developers are going to need most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um that's what allows it to be a little bit thinner and allows people to learn Git a little bit more quickly without getting in trouble. Yes. Awesome. We um, we actually had a question that I was going to ask you anyways. It's, it's from a LinkedIn user. That means the privacy settings are on. But the question is, how long did it take to write this book? Um, I write quickly and I write on weekends. This took about six or eight Sundays, I think, to write. But then there's editing yeah. and fussing. Do you write a book? I know there are some suggestions that say just write the whole thing and then go back and fix, or do you kind of write and fix at the same time? Typically, I'll write a chapter and then fix that, Okay. and then write another chapter. We're talking about the programming books. I have a uh, unpublished novel, Knowing Agents, that I write really differently, and I do more of what you're saying, which is I write and edit, write and edit. Mm-hmm. That took about a year, and mm-hmm. now I'm two years into editing. So it's a different process with a novel. What What's the novel about? The novel is called Sex, Drugs, and Bipolar. Okay. And it's about a uh, badly broken boy as he goes through adolescence. And um, it's uh, pretty much what the title says. There is, there's a fair amount of um, bisexual sex. He gets very involved with LSD and uh, eventually is diagnosed as bipolar. And I won't give away the end. Okay. Well, guys, stay tuned. This is a non-programming book. That's very, <laughs> very interesting. Um, I know you've written several books. What What is the total count now with, with this new Git book? It very much depends on how you count it. If you don't count second editions and third editions and spinoffs, it's about 18. Okay. I count second editions and third editions. Then it's about 25 or 23, somewhere in there. Okay. Wow. It's, amazing. It's, it's a lot of books. Well, it used to be that I was I started writing books in 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it used to be that most books paid out their advance, but that's about it. But some books took off. And so my C sharp, excuse me, my C++ book sold 75,000 copies. 
Oh, wow. Today, today that's unheard of. There's far fewer books sold. And the reason for that is because people look things up on Google and they look things up on Stack Overflow. And those are perfectly reasonable things to do. Yeah. My way of learning is I don't love exploring Google for something new, for something I know nothing about, because it's mm-hmm. hard to get a coherent story. It's great when you know what you want to find and you need the syntax or you need a general review of some particular part. But I like a story of technology so that I get it in the right order. So I tend to read books when I want to learn something new. And then I use Google and Stack Overflow when I need to uh, zoom in on some particular part. Mm -hmm. But anyway, that's killing the book market. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it is, but like you said, sometimes you, it really does make sense to just check Google and Stack Overflow, but for, for others, I think it's, it's nice. I still prefer the book and I prefer the book in my hands. I know a lot of people are fine with the PDFs or the eBooks. Um, I'm more mm-hmm. of a paperback or hardcover book person. The, the I, I, book- saw, I don't mean to interrupt you. I saw a great <laughs> cartoon of this woman is sitting with her grandson and kids on a tablet and she's reading a book and he looks at her like this and she says, it's an iPad made out of trees, which I thought was brilliant. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. The book that you said sold over 75,000 copies, I believe you said it's the C++ one. What do you think triggered that sale? Um, that was my first book. And it's Teach Yourself C++ in 21 Days, which I got no end of hassle about. You can't learn C++ in 21 days. And I said, fine, it's Teach Yourself twenty. Um, excuse me, it's Teach Yourself C++ in 21 chapters. Is that better? Which, you know, that's all it was. It was a hype to call it 21 days, but it was 21 chapters. Yeah. Um, that book hit the market and didn't do anything. And then C++ started to catch on. What was different about my book, all the C++ books, and as far as I know, until mine, taught C++ to C programmers. Mm-hmm. My book taught C++ to novice programmers. And mm-hmm. that set it apart. And I got lucky in the timing. And you know, unfortunately, what I didn't get lucky in is my percentage. Because my first book, I didn't know. So wow. I took a really low percentage. <laughs> you don't negotiate the first book, right? You're just trying right. to get out there. But with you know 18 to 25 books now... Hopefully now you've learned how to. I've learned, but unfortunately the market is, you know. <laughs> yes. Well, it seems like you love writing books. I mean, only a person who really loves something would do it more than once or twice or three or four or five. And <laughs> <just keep going. laughs> well, it's very much like programming. And I really love programming. If I had to give one up, I'd give up books and keep the programming. But they're similar in certain ways that you think about a problem, you break it down into smaller components until you get to components that you know how to do and you put those together in a logical order it's somewhere between programming and teaching mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the ways in which a good teacher teaches carry over into writing good at least intro books and i taught for one year at brandeis as a mm. teacher to the evening school this was great they they wanted to uh, hire me to teach this class on object-oriented programming so I was all hired and they said, ah, oh, you don't have a master's. We can't hire you. And I said, okay, give me one. <laughs> they wouldn't do that, but they hired me anyway. Oh, okay. Good, good. So that had a, a happy ending. Happy, That's happy good. Ending. Did that for a year, realized it's a lot of work. We we have someone here that thinks you're uh, an inspiration. You're a mentor for young kids all over the world, especially those who want to get into a programming career. So I 
you're you're being recognized here. Um, it's very kind. We do have a lot more questions coming in, but I actually wanted to start with how many people actually use Git before I get to some of the other questions. According to Stack Overflow, over ninety percent of programmers are using Git. Ninety percent. Wow. Well over ninety percent. I don't know what the exact. I think it's either ninety-three or ninety-seven percent of programmers in any language mm-hmm. are using Git. Are because there no competitors? Use, there are competitors, but but uh, the programming world has shifted to Git because its performance is outstanding, because it's decentralized, and because it's where all the cool kids went. Okay, you got to follow the cool kids now. We had a question here on GitHub. And before I ask that question, maybe you can tell the audience the difference between Git and GitHub. Yes, there are three things that people conflate. One is Git, which is the resource, strike that, the source control system. Mm -hmm. One is GitHub, which is a place where you can put your code off-site. It's a central repository. And that has two tremendous advantages. One is that your, your code is safely off-site. And the other is if you're working in a team, I can put my code up on GitHub and you can download it. And that allows us to uh, work together very cleanly. Mm-hmm. So GitHub is a place in, in some sense. It's in the cloud. And they were recently purchased by Microsoft. So mm-hmm. GitHub is increasingly tied in with Azure. The way to think about GitHub is it's a place, whereas Git is a version control system. Now, GitHub, the people who make GitHub also make GitHub for Desktop. And Mm -hmm. GitHub for Desktop is a tool, a GUI tool for using Git. Mm -hmm. So you've got Git, GitHub, and GitHub for Desktop. And keeping those straight, good luck. (laughs) Well, thank you for for that really good explanation. Now, the question on GitHub was from Kevin, and he's asking, is there anyone's GitHub that you would recommend that people go and check out? There are a number of repositories. Personally, I use GitHub. It's mm-hmm. increasingly integrated into Microsoft Azure. I'm a .NET guy. That seems like the right place to me. There are other perfectly good uh, repositories. One of the advantages of GitHub, and I know this is true in other places, is that you can have public or private repositories, and they're free. So mm-hmm. you can have as many private repositories as you want, and you can have as many public as you want, and the public repositories, anybody can download the code. And that's terrific for open source. And the private repositories are great for companies who have code they don't want to share. Mm-hmm. Yep, that makes sense. What do you think was your most favorite and least favorite part of writing this book? I know you've written several books, but this one specific. Well, usually yeah. I write books about things I don't really know. And I stay a couple chapters ahead of the book. And that's a great way to learn because the best way to learn something is to teach it to someone else. This book, I knew Git pretty well. And so I'd say the first half of the book was quite easy to write. It was, it, the hard part was uh, putting it into a coherent order and making it viable for people who've never used version control. Mm-hmm. The second half of the book was more challenging because I wanted to go to topics that typical Git users might not be aware of. And then a chapter on how do you get yourself out of trouble. So mm-hmm. it was a mix. Packet was strong about the agreed upon timing of the mm-hmm. book. And that's always interesting because when I 
propose a book, I'm supposed to give them a table of contents. And who knows what should be in the table of contents? <laughs> so I put out something that seems reasonable. And of course, then I'm constantly changing it. And they're constantly pulling their hair out. And it's an interesting conversation. Yes, I bet. I'm, I'm actually currently writing a book as well. And when I was pitching it to publishers, they wanted the first chapter and they wanted the full table of contents. And I'm like, well, that's probably going to change as I write this right. thing because it's, it's going to keep evolving as I restructure and think of better ways to position it. What, what's your book on? Um, it's it's on color for data storytelling. So it's all about the importance wow. of color, um, accessibility, color blindness. How do you pick a color? Staying in brand, and there there's a lot that goes into it. Color theory, color psychology. So uh, let's see, let's see where that gets me. Hopefully by early next year, the book will be out. Well, you'll have to uh, tell me the name of the book because that sounds great. Color for data storytelling. For now, I don't no, have that a whole was easy. <laughs> It's kind of like Git for programmers. This is color for data storytelling. We had a question earlier on about C-sharp. So the question was, do you include relevant case studies in C-sharp and important logic points? Please let us know. No, this is not a book on C-sharp. It's a book right. on Git. I do use very, very simple C-sharp examples so that we have something to put into the repository. Yeah. But the target here was to make it available to non-C-sharp programmers. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. Yeah, I assumed you'd have an answer for that since you've written a book on everything. So I do have a book on C Sharp, but it's it's very old. And okay. uh, so I recommend it was taken over by Ian Griffiths. And hmm. um, he did a really good job with programming C Sharp. And then O'Reilly has a few other really good books on C Sharp. There are a bunch of good books on C Sharp. And C Sharp in depth, what's it called? C Sharp in depth. Yeah, that's very good. Okay. It's another very good C-sharp book, but this isn't that. All right. I've got a question here on just where the world is going. So the world is changing faster than expected, and now Python support slash syntax friendly, then C slash C++ days. Where do you think the, is the tech programming going in the next three years or so? I can tell you that for 20 years, I've been making predictions about where we'll be in three years. Mm-hmm. And I am consistent in being wrong. So so good luck in predicting. I mean, who could who could have foreseen some of the um, acquisitions by Microsoft? Who could have seen a C-sharp framework for cross-platform development of mobile applications? I mean, some people could have foreseen it. I did not foresee it. And yeah. I haven't even foreseen some of the uh, new features in C-sharp 8, 9, and 10. Hmm. So... Three years? Three years is, you know, a century in programmer time. <laughs> so you're not going to take your, your chances here by making a nope. guess? Or, okay. Not even going to try. I would be shocked if C Sharp isn't around. And mm-hmm. I would be shocked if, I think he mentioned Python. Yeah. I'm shocked if that's not around. But they're really in two different worlds. The world mm-hmm. I know is the .NET world, mm-hmm. and it is evolving quickly. But I'd be surprised if there are wholesale changes. I think it's evolving rather than just being replaced each time. That makes sense. And you're not the first guest on the show to kind of skirt the question of predictions. <laughs> They're like, we know this is going to be recorded and played again a few years from now. I'm not. I'm going to hold my predictions right. to myself. I'm hoping that mute button's working because the cough it is. It actually works. I'm like, how are you so fast? You just muted your cough right there. Apologize for that. No, no worries. All right. Uh, question here: Are you writing a book on Python for machine learning? I have never written anything in Python. Not even Hello World in Python? Not even Hello World. I would like to at some point, but I've been been a C-sharp programmer for 20 years, and and 
I know a lot of the tools around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of the tools and languages around databases and web programming and mobile programming, but it's all within .NET. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. You live, you live in your, in your space. I like that. That's okay. Question here from uh, Mohammed and he's asking, can we solve conflicts without depending on any IDE? Absolutely. You can solve your conflicts at the command line mm-hmm. and some ways that's quite straightforward. When I get a conflict, I do one of two things. I either use KB diff three Mm-hmm. because it makes it very easy to choose which of the two conflicting or both that you want to use. Visual Studio's Git support has gotten so good that I've started using that. You can okay. use the command line. It's just annoying. Yeah, I guess there's sometimes you'd have to use the command line, though, right? If your IDE couldn't do what you needed it to do. Yes, if you had asked me last year, I would have said that. I would have said okay. GUIs are great, but yeah. they have limitations. And there are things you can do at the command line that you can't do in a GUI. Visual mm-hmm. Studio, again, has gotten so good. I'm not sure that's true anymore. There are some things that I know well enough at the command line and would scare me enough in Visual Studio that I still use the command line. The book, I should have said this earlier, the book shows just about everything in three ways. One is at the command line. Mm-hmm. One is using uh, GitHub Desktop because it's a very simple GUI. And one using Visual Studio 2019 because it's a more powerful GUI. There are some other excellent GUIs out there. There's Fork and there's, um, I think, Tortoise. And there are a couple others mm-hmm. that are very good. Source Tree is a good one. But I, uh, I tend to... Use just two, the command line or Visual Studio. Yeah, I think Visual Studio was the most popular one. Like when you search for GUIs, like which one is best? That seems to be the most the most used, which I guess would have the most support if you ran into an issue. Well, certainly in the .NET world, that would be yeah. true. I mean, if you're using Visual Studio anyway, I wouldn't run out and get Visual Studio just for its Git support. Okay. You know, there, there are a lot of other ways to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So a question I had for you regarding Git. Now you've you've wrote a book on it. You've used it for several years. If you could change one thing as an improvement, what, what sort of change would you make to it? If you had a wish list, a little genie came to you right now. That's a great question. I would make it easier to back out and know what you're backing out specifically, make it easier to pick. Mm-hmm out of a commit, some changes, make that very obvious how to do that. I think the biggest problem in any source code control is you check in a whole bunch of changes and then you realize one of those changes was not right, but you've made three commits since then. And A, how do you find it, which we can talk about using the command bisect. But the other is how do you just pull that little bit out without breaking everything else? Mm-hmm. Okay. Sometimes it feels like a game of Jenga. <laughs> Well, I mean, everyone has a wish list, so it's good to hear what your what's on your wish list. Um, in terms of the book, who would you say? I know it says Git for programmers, but what sort of programmers who would be who would benefit the most from reading your book? Well, if I did it right, there'd be two sets of programmers. One would be people who have not used version control and not used Git in any case, okay. and then the second group would be people who have used Git who could skip over the first few chapters mm-hmm. and then hopefully find some new stuff. 
But in terms of what language you use or what world you live in, if again, if I did it right, it doesn't matter. Okay. All right. I'm sure you did it right. After all this experience of writing books, I'd be surprised if you don't get it right. Yeah, um, but I'm older and slower and dumber now, but okay. Wiser. The word is wiser. That's it, wiser, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I know some books are meant to be read kind of from, from page one to, to the last page. Would you say your yours is one of those books that you recommend people start from the beginning and go through the end or kind of skip around when they have questions? No, I would I would take it. I mean, you can skip around. I'm not going to like come to your house and slap your hand, but I think the book is most valuable if you read it from start. <laughs> skipping the things that you don't care about. Uh, but, you know, I, it wasn't designed to be, can be used as a, as a reference book where you say, oh, well, I just need a refresher on this thing. Mm-hmm. But if you want to know quickly what the command is to do X, I would just Google it. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, sometimes you need an answer right away, especially if you could just copy paste it instead of typing it in. People are lazy, you know, not me, but others. No, no. I've never done that. No. <laughs> well, one of the things that I've started doing with programming books is I started buying the paper version and the Kindle version. Okay. And the reason for that is that I can put the Kindle side by side with my code uh-huh. and build my code while I'm reading. And also I can copy and paste. Okay. So that's kind of a nice feature. And so this book is in version, let's try that in English. This book is available in both Kindle and paper. And I recommend everybody go out and buy both. (laughs) Yes, everybody right now. Unless you've won the book, then, you know, we're going to ship it to you, but everybody else. um, Yes. And I have to say my wife works in an independent bookstore. So find your independent bookstore and buy it there or else buy it on the evil empire. Either way. You mean Amazon? (laughs) I I wouldn't say that. No, of course not. No. I mean, that's where I get all my books. That's that's where I got your books. I get all mine. I, I, I read a Kindle, so I get all my books from Amazon. I kind of miss the bookstores. I used to go there. All of our Barnes and Nobles around where I lived in New York, they all closed down. Even the libraries are closed now. But anyways, hopefully soon we'll be able to go to a place with books again and, and, and see them. There was a question here for you, you know, who is inspiring you to write these books? Is it from your mind or somebody out there inspiring you to write them? Typically, I think of it and pitch it to the publisher, but occasionally a publisher will come to me and say, can you do a book on this or that? I have an idea for yet another book on C-sharp to uh, boil C-sharp down to a very small book, and Mm -hmm. we'll see if that goes anywhere. But, But no, other than my dog, there's no inspiration. Okay. Do you have your dog there or no? Yeah, he's right over there. Okay, well, maybe we'll get a chance to see your dog. Um, he's old. Wise, you mean wise, right? Wise, I mean wise. <laughs> um, okay, we had a question here from Brian, and he says, you know, he's been developing in .NET and C Sharp as well for a while. For many years, they used Team Foundation Services, TFS, and now mm-hmm. Azure DevOps using the TFVC format. They're switching over to Git. Any recommendations for those switching from TFVC over to Git? Well, my first recommendation is to buy my book or a book like it that explains both the fundamentals and the advanced topics. It's difficult to switch to Git. It's difficult to get your head around how it works and what it's doing. But once you do, Git is not all that scary. And Uh my advice would be, especially if you're using Azure DevOps, my advice would be to dive in 
and also to uh, let Azure DevOps help you set up in your CICD, assuming you're doing continuous integration, continuous delivery, set up to catch any issues with your code. There's a wonderful lint called SonarCube, which you can use together with that. But the main thing is, uh, get specific, is to keep track of what you're checking in, what you're committing, what's Mm -hmm. on the repository. Has somebody made changes that you need to pull down? And are you going to step on somebody else's work? Which means the main thing is to pull, which brings it from the repository to yours, and merge into your working code very frequently, because that way you surface issues very early which makes them much easier to fix. All right. Thank you, uh, Brian. Hopefully we, you know, we've got that answer to your question. So thank you so much, Jesse. What sort of questions do people come to you? I mean, we've, we've gotten some questions here already, but what are some of the most common questions that you get from people? One is uh, what's rebase and why is it so scary? And hopefully I've made it less scary because it's really pretty straightforward. The biggest question I get is, yikes, I'm in trouble. How do I get out? That's a question I get asked a lot, and that's a question I ask a lot. So, mm-hmm. you know, get it, it. It's very, very hard to lose your work with Git. You have to work at it to lose your work, but you can get yourself into a place where you're not sure what to do next, and you're nervous about losing your work. Mm-hmm. But, but one of the great things about Git, you could conceivably lose all the work you did since the last commit, which is why I believe in frequent commits. But losing anything that's in the repository is next to impossible. There Mm -hmm. is a controversy about how often you should commit. I'll just dive into that for one second. There are people who believe that you should finish a unit of work and then do a commit. And then there are people like me who believe in commit, 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 commit so frequently because I don't want to lose anything. And then there's a technique called interactive rebasing, which lets you squish down those commits into Mm. just a couple which you can then add the right message to. And it's as if you had done the first approach, but you get the safety of the second approach. Interactive rebase is covered in the book. Interestingly, it is, from a user's perspective, it has just about nothing to do with rebase. Okay. Yeah, you know, it it reminds me of, I I saw a sign somewhere, in case of fire, git, commit, and then leave or something like that. I have a a mug that says it and a t-shirt and a sign on my door. It says, in case of fire, get commit, get push, leave building. In that order, exactly. In that order, that's great. So there's no no automated, kind of like, you know, when you're working in a Word doc and you control S for saving, or then sometimes mm-hmm. it auto-saves, there's no auto-save. Um, well, there's auto-save in, for example, Visual Studio Code, yep. but that's saving to your local machine. Mm-hmm. There's no auto save that says put this into the my local repository or push this to my remote repository, okay. which is why I say commit frequently. When yeah. you commit, what you're doing is taking the code that's local on your machine and putting it into the repository that's on your machine. Mm-hmm. And then when you push, you're taking what's in the repository on your local machine and putting it on a central repository like GitHub. Okay. All right. Very helpful. Thank you. Um, we had a, a question here from James, and he's asking, in this book, do you cover Git flow? Okay, there's two possible things you mean. One is, do I cover the uh, workflow? And the answer to that is yes. Okay. The second thing you might mean is, I don't know what he might mean. Okay. So- I'm sure there's something <laughs> else called Git flow, but I don't. I don't. 
James, if you want to clarify, we can uh, we can take the the question. We had another question here from Shashank, and he's asking, "Do you think Git is going to be replaced by any software in the future?" With you said, over ninety percent of programmers currently using it. It depends on what you mean by in the future, and it's going to depend a lot on what comes along to challenge it. It's really entrenched at this point and yeah. really supported by virtually every open source project. And now it's owned by Microsoft. It's hard to believe in the short term that it's going to be replaced. And um, who is it, Keynes, who said in the long term we'll all be dead? Very optimistic, Chad. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to, uh, oh, James said workflow is good. Oh, so workflow. good. Yes, I do cover that. Okay, perfect. Are you planning to launch T-shirts with your um, book name by any chance? We'll have to talk to Packet about that. I love the idea. What I want is um, lightweight jackets Okay. with the picture of the book on the back and my name on the front. And that would be very cool. If somebody wants to print those and give them to me for free, I'm happy to uh, wear them. Yeah, you can do Amazon merch. That's how I sell dedicated shirts. So you can actually create your own if you wanted to. Yeah, no. No, okay. <laughs> Jesse, maybe you can tell us about any future books that you're planning to write probably by tomorrow at the rate you're going. <laughs> well, as I said, I'm pitching a uh, a book on uh, the absolute minimal that you need to know about C-sharp. You can find out about it. Can I pitch my website? Yes, at, go for uh, it, please. At jessieliberty.com. And you can reach me on Twitter and at Jesse Liberty. Uh, there's a pattern here evolving. But I, I announce books and such on my on both my website and on my Twitter account. I have a LinkedIn account, which no surprise is LinkedIn I N Jesse Liberty. But I must confess that I'm not on LinkedIn as much as I am on some other social media. You're on there right now. You're live on LinkedIn, Jesse. <laughs> I know. I shouldn't have said that because because it's LinkedIn who's sponsoring this. I used LinkedIn oh, extensively when I was looking for work, and they were great for that. You know, they really transformed, I think, in the past, I'd say, four or five years from being just a job site to really being a really great place for, for content, for news. That's where I learned almost everything that I, I, I know is, is actually on LinkedIn. I spend 99% of my screen time, I think, on Thank that. Thank you for platform. rescuing me from that. And what's absurd is I did two videos for LinkedIn, for LinkedIn learning. Oh, you did? I said that thing. But <laughs> well, this listen. is live, so we can't really cut it, so... We wouldn't want to. This is no. live for a reason. People like live. People like the real conversations. Nothing that, you know, we practice 10 times over and then comes out all fake and everything. I know you have to jump soon, but can we take one more question? Sure. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. The question is, what are your thoughts on using Git or something else or preserving work for data analytics type work that does not use code? Boy, you're way beyond me. Um, Git, <laughs> Git will certainly work with um, things other than code. I used Git when I was writing my book yeah. um, to keep different versions. I also used Google Docs. So there's a lot of different ways of doing that. But I, I know next to nothing about data analytics. Okay. Let's take one more question. All right. I mean, there are comments around your shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of people, please launch the business. Looking forward to your shirts. So, you know, that's <laughs> One more question I had for you. I know you really wanted to talk about the meaning of life. So go ahead, Jesse. I'll, I'll let you take the stage. 42. <laughs> and if you're a Douglas Adams fan, that'll make a lot of sense to you. And if you're not, go become a Douglas Adams fan. 
So that's about it for us, Jesse. That's <laughs> the answer is 42. I love it. For for those who want to reach out and connect with you, I know you already mentioned uh, Twitter. You will start using LinkedIn a lot more now, obviously. Yes. And you've got your great we- website. And all you need to remember, guys, is Jesse Liberty for, for all of for that. Everything. Yes. For everything. And um, yes, buy the book, get for programmers. Jesse, thank you so much for for doing this session. It looks like people really got a lot of value out of the conversation. They're asking for bring more interviews from hashtag Liberty. So great. I love that. Okay. At this point, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up and I'm gonna just thank you again, Jesse, for your time and a really huge thanks for the audience for for being awesome and for engaging and asking great questions. And, you know, stay tuned. The dedicated expo is coming uh, up on October 5th. And I'll post more info about that online. In the meantime, uh, I'll see everybody online. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you so much for listening to the Dedicated On Air podcast. We really hope you'll come back for more episodes. And until then, stay dedicated.